Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 266 of So You Want to Be a Writer, the podcast that's all about the world of writing and publishing. I'm Valerie Koo, CEO of the Australian Writers' Centre, where you'll find writing courses, useful resources, and an awesome, supportive community. And I'm here with my co-host, Alison Tate, author of the popular Mapmaker Chronicles and Adaban Cipher book series. How are you, Al? I'm okay. I see you've taken over from Guy Smiley when it comes to our <laughs> intro. It's a little bit exciting. Thought we'd do something a little bit different, you know? Do you think I need to provide the backing music, you know? Oh, yeah, you could sing because you are a bit of a singer. So I think that um, <laughs> do you think I need to, you... We need to come up with a song. Maybe I'll get Book Boy to whip up a, exactly. a, an intro song for us. Exactly. So if you want to be a writer, <laughs> you're in the right place. So you want to be a writer, this is your space. Do you think he'd like it? Do you reckon he'd do that? Oh, you just got to keep going, Al. You no, going. I don't think so. I, honestly, every time I go past, I, like I, I don't know if I ever told you this story, but I came up with this idea for a song for him. So he's very, very much like, Mum, I really don't need your input, which makes me sad, but whatever. Um, it doesn't stop me from trying, though. So I came up with this song idea for him, which was, you know, because I like, you, you need to do a happy summer because, you know, he's not, generally speaking, it's not really all about the happy at this point. So I'm like, you've got to do a happy song about summer on the South Coast. And I came up with this great idea because one of the things that people do down here, there's a bridge down at Jervis Bay, which is over a, um, over a creek called, well, it's, you know, some people call it a lagoon, some people call it a creek, I'm in the mm-hmm. creek camp, mm-hmm. um, called Moona Moona, and you can jump off it. Like it's one of the oh, rites yes. of passage on the South Coast. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure we've talked about this before. Um, anyway, I, I – um, I tried to encourage him to write a song about jumping off the bridge at Moona and how it was, you know. And then as as time's gone past, like this was a couple of years ago when he was, you know, 13, 12, whatever he was, and um, as time's gone past, I just keep adding to this song and, you know, how it's, you know, jumping <laughs> off the bridge at Moona, it's just like falling in love and, and every time he just puts his hands over his ears and runs screaming from the room. So it's perfect so any time I want to get rid of him, I just start oh. singing his song, the song that I think should be his song, and he runs. It's brilliant. One day it's going to be a hit, Al. I, that's One what day. I keep telling I him. So. I'm like, dude, I am writing you a hit song here and you mm. are ignoring me. It's just no good. Anyway. Yes. Sorry, so that was a rave. What's been happening in our world? Okay, so a couple of things have been happening in our world. Um, the first thing was quite a happy thing in that uh, – the aforementioned book boy uh, had a gig in Sydney this week. He just did a little right. open mic night at the Gasoline Pony in Maryville. So I just want to be a little shout out to the Gasoline Pony and all of those other little venues that mm. encourage musicians, songwriters yes. to get up and have a crack. Just huge shout out to you people. You're doing an amazing thing. Um, so that was a happy thing. Also a very sad thing though happened this week. And so I've been a little bit, you know, I've been a little bit down. I'm yeah. not even fair to Midland really, mm. um, which is that my very dear friend from the blogging community, Kelly, lost her husband. And yeah. um, so that's been a terrible, that's been a terrible week all around from that perspective. And, mm. you know, the interesting thing about it is, um, so Kelly and I have known each other around 10 years through blogging. We met yeah. at a pro blogger conference and we've been mates ever since and we speak regularly and all of these things. Um, and, you know, what it shows you when something awful like this happens mm. is the absolute, I don't, the the reality of the friendships and the community in the Australian blogging world mm. um, is extraordinary. 
the the overwhelming amount of support that was sent, that has been sent and has been uh, given to Kelly and her family in this awful, mm. awful time. Um, you know, it's people say, oh, you know, like the, you, how do you, you know, you've only met three times in your whole life. How are you friends? But you are friends. We mm. are friends. We've been friends a long time. And I think that um, those, the, the reality and the authenticity of that network and those friendships is something that you just, you know, you really have to see it to believe it. And, um, you know, so my all my love goes out to to that family and, and you know, to everyone who's hurting with relationship to, to that terrible um, accident. So, yeah. you know, it's been a week of, hmm, yeah, I hugs. I go out to, to, to <laughs> Kelly and her family because yeah. um, we really do care about you, Kelly, and... Um, thinking of you during this time. That's right. So um, we actually have still lots of the Ask Me Anything questions that we we put forward before Christmas and we're going to go through some of those. But I thought I would update you on something. You may remember, Al, that I mentioned that I've been cheating on you. But I've decided to rephrase that. I'm trying trying to deal with my trust issues. (laughs) With that? I've decided to rephrase that so it doesn't sound so bad. I've been moonlighting. Mm. Yes. So, in fact, you can see what I've been moonlighting on at uh, newstories.net.au. That's newstories.net.au. And it's basically a brand new, completely different pop-up podcast series. I'm going to do – I'll be doing seasons – and season one is now done, and it is to coincide with the festival that I am curating, which is the Sydney Lunar Festival. And if you want to have a look at the Sydney Lunar Festival, go to sydneylunarfestival.com. And the Sydney Lunar Festival is a festival in February, which goes from the 1st to the 10th of February, and it's held in the city of Sydney. It's a huge program of arts and public art, awesome sculptural installations, uh, performance programs, dragon boat races, lots and lots of associated events. I'll be hosting some artist talks. And um, in 2018, 1.3 million people attended the festival so it's there's quite a lot to do and one of the things that I've been doing in while I've been moonlighting is a new podcast series called New Stories Bold Legends and it's the stories of people who celebrate Lunar New Year and it includes people like Marina Go, who some people will be interested in because she's a former editor of Elle and um, Sunday Life and Dolly back in the day and she's now the chair of West Tigers and a board director of places like 7-Eleven and Energy Australia. This morning I interviewed Dr Charlie Teo who of course is the maverick brain surgeon who operates on what on brain tumours that many consider inoperable. Um uh, I've also talked to fashion designers and artists, uh, politicians, YouTube sensations, <laughs> and um, and also journalists as well. Uh, so if you want to check it out, you'll be able to find it on iTunes. Just search for New Stories, Bold Legends, or my name. Uh, it's already on Spotify, and it'll be on Stitcher. And of course, you can also just stream it through the website, um, which I've mentioned. So that's what I have been busy with as well. Well, at least you're cheating on me with, you know, quality. (laughs) With quality, yes. All right, so let's move on to the uh, questions that we haven't answered yet. Jodie has said, 
Do you feel the stigma of self-publishing is becoming less and perhaps even more accepted in the industry as a first choice rather than a backup plan? Or is there still a while to a while to go on that front? That's a good question. Yes. Yes, I'm interested in your thoughts on that, though. Okay, well, I certainly think that it's the stigma has lessened considerably, especially when you hear of lots of self-published or indie authors who are making, you know, well into six figures. We've interviewed some. There's an episode with Brett Battles um, that we've that we've done in the past. Uh, I think that in the world of nonfiction, it is definitely the go-to um, option, and in some cases, the first option. And I'll give you the perfect example of when that might be the case. Sometimes you may want to publish a book, but it is so niche, like, you know, um, a book about how to value infrastructure in Australia. Mm. Yeah. So it's a good read. I know. So it is so niche that your book idea may still be fantastic. Your writing and the presentation of your information and ideas may still be fantastic, but a publisher knows that there isn't enough audience out there for them to make money, but there's probably enough audience out there for you to make money, you know, if you Mm. were wanting to write about valuing infrastructure. So in those sorts of cases where it's a completely valid book, good writing, good everything, but just too small an audience for a publisher to be interested, then self-publishing or indie publishing would definitely be a first choice because it actually is the smartest decision. Mm. So in certain situations, yes, I think it's the first choice. And I think overall um, the stigma has become less and less. And in terms of the choice, it depends very much on your – on your 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 goals, what yeah. you want out of it, and also what you're prepared to do, because there's no point doing self publishing or indie publishing if you aren't prepared to promote yourself. There's no point if you're not prepared to, um, you know, go through the the self publishing process in a way that's extremely professional and and to a very high standard. So yeah, it depends very much on the kind of book you're writing, but in some cases. Definitely, it's a first choice. Yep, I agree. Hmm. There you go. Okay, I answered that one. Yeah, you, <laughs> All right, did, so you did beautifully. Sarah has said, what is the best writing gadget or accessory apart from ProcrastiPup that you have? <laughs> oh, well, clearly ProcrastiPup is, you know, <laughs> king of the writing accessory. Yes. Um, the best writing accessory I have ever invested in was the keyboard cover for my iPad, yes. I think, is probably my favourite thing that I've done. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just made it much more – I need a keypad. I'm, you know, mm-hmm. I type very fast and very loud, not as loud as Val, but, you know, pretty loud. Um, and so I always need a – I always need a keep, uh, keypad. And so for me, it, it was just that. It just it, because, um, and I bought that a long time ago. Mm. Um, and it just made that it, the accessibility of my writing, that ability to do it anywhere, that yeah. that's what really I think made a difference for me. Because I have a laptop as well, but I don't take my, my laptop is, is, I mean, it's, you know, it's still Big. small and, and light for a laptop, but it's yeah, still a lot bigger than an yeah, iPad. So yeah. the iPad I will slide into my bag when I'm going on the train to Sydney or I'm, you know, whatever, or I'm sitting in the car waiting for the boys, whatever I'm doing. Um, and I can, you know, I can knock out, um, you know, 
however many words I need to knock out on that without too much difficulty. Um, so I think that you, you, what you basically want to do with any writing gadget or accessory is ascertain whether or not it's actually going to make things easier for you or if you're actually just doing it as a procrasty buy almost. You know, sometimes um, people buy stuff thinking it's going to make their make them write more. It's not um, necessarily. So is this something that is actually going to make it easier for you to to write wherever you need to write, to do whatever you need to do. Um, so that, yeah, that, that would be my, that would be my thing. Mine's like the exact same answer. Uh, Is the, it really? Yeah, That's yeah. The productivity, once I got a, um, a keyboard for my iPad, just went through the roof and I cannot actually live without it now. So I, if I buy, an, you know, a new iPad, the first, I will always buy a good keyboard with it. And not all keyboards are made are created equal actually because I have spent a lot of money on different keyboards and there are some not good ones so the ones I recommend are either the Apple made ones these are for the more newer iPads and if you have an older iPad the Logitech uh, yeah, that certain... Logitech cover is just brilliant. I so love it. good. There are other ones that are equally as expensive, but I have tried them and they are not good. See, that's the good thing about you. You actually road test all this stuff and then you just tell mm. me which one to get. So that's <laughs> what I do. I just do what Val says. It's really when it comes to this stuff, I just do what Val says. So wish... you should do the same. <laughs> I wish more people would do what Val says. Okay. Madeline oh, and also just seen... on that too, oh, yes. um, I've shared today, again, my uh, top 10 tips for writers for getting the words written for actually getting mm. the words written. Um, I'm going to put the note in the show, um, get, put the link in the show notes today for that because I, you know, I woke up this morning and realised that it's not the first week of January. You know, you just have that feeling in summer where you're still in the first week, actually not in the first week of January anymore. So it's time to actually start thinking about how you're going to actually do this thing that you want to do. Um, so I'll pop that link in the show notes. Awesome. All right. Madeline has said, what do you know about updating new cover files for a book cover with Nielsen. I'm having the issue of some places where it is available. It has been changed, but not others. I have contacted Nielsen and am waiting reply, but was wondering your thoughts on the issue. I have no idea whatsoever. I know nothing about updating new cover files for a book. And also I'm a bit worried, Madeline. Sorry, it's taken us like five weeks to get to this. So I hope you haven't been waiting for our response. I'm sure you haven't. Um, I think contacting Nielsen was probably the best thing to do. Yes, or contacting your publisher. Mm. So I, I don't have the definitive answer as either, but I imagine it's a feed. I imagine it's some kind of feed that goes through to Nielsen. And so mm. whoever originated the feed or wherever it's wherever it's started from, I imagine that that's where it is. But, yes, we don't know for sure. All right, Bethany says this is something she needs to know, okay. which is what is Banoffee Pie exactly? Oh, God. <laughs> It is, Bethany, the best dessert in the world. That's all you need to know. Oh, that's not enough. All right. You have if to you tell need, her what it is. That's ridiculous. need to know it more. It is not the best. It is actually it not is. the best dessert the in the best world. Dessert. It is. So it's delicious. It has a biscuit base and then on top of the biscuit base, so it's a tart type um you know, structure, biscuit base. On top of the biscuit base is ca- caramel. On top of the caramel is banana. And on top of the banana is cream. Yum. There you go. All right. Uh, David has said, how do you find your voice? And is it something that writing alone will help to develop and improve? Good question. Go out. Great question. 
Okay, so how do you find your voice? Well, the best way to find your voice is to write. Uh, that's the that's the best starting point for finding your voice. And when I say write, I mean things like keeping some kind of journal, keeping a diary, writing. Because the way you find your voice is you have to start to write exactly like you talk, only better. So mm. you have to tap into that voice that's not um, – we often talk about this. We have discussed this in the past and we talk about um, how when we worked as journalists, we had what was we, we would refer to as a broadcast voice in the sense that our voice had to fit into the tone and style of the magazine or publication that we were writing for. So you start to write for markets, um, which is one way – of writing, you know, it's like an outside voice. When you write for yourself and you're writing fiction, you, what you have to do is tap into your inside voice. You've got to find that intimate tone that is just yours and yours alone, your way of looking at the world, your way of putting words together, your sense of humour, your ideas. And I found um, as I came into writing fiction from journalism that the best way for me to get into that was actually blogging, which is a weird thing because you're still putting it out there on the internet. But with blogging, you had I had to develop that intimacy, that personal tone because people would read it and respond. I got this sort of sense of there actually being people involved in what I was doing. And I found that the the posts that I wrote that were very much just me, like stream of consciousness, putting my thoughts out there, were the ones that were most responded were most responded to because people really um, responded to the honesty, the authenticity of the tone of what I was writing. It wasn't constructed; it was just me putting my thoughts out there, and that was a fantastic way for me to find my voice. Because when I I noticed the change in my fiction, I stopped trying to write a book like a romance book, a children's book, and I started mm. to write a story. And it was not just a story, but it was my story. It was the story that I could tell. It was the story that I had to share with, in this case, you know, children. So I think um, that that's that that would be my first advice would be to, to start to keep a journal. And when I talk about a journal, and I do this when I go, when I go and talk to kids in writers' workshops, we have a laugh about this because, you know, like I say to them, you know, keep a journal. This is because you'll never run out of ideas if you have a journal. You'll never run out of ideas. And I'm like, and what I'm talking about here is not the kind of diary where it's like, I woke up, I went to school, I had cheese sandwiches for lunch, I went home, which is kind of like how kids tend to start writing diaries mm. as, you know, this is my day sort of thing. Um, but it, it's about finding one tiny thing in your day, one tiny, tiny thing, like one conversation you have, one thing that you see, one thing that you hear, like just one little thing and you write a little piece about that just a just a paragraph even or you know it might turn out to be a thousand words but just in your words you want your words on the page and that is the best way to kind of start to tap into your voice and then the second thing I would suggest you do if you're just starting out on your journey and you're trying to find your voice and all of that sort of stuff is to go into a course that gives you the basics of story structure because mm. you need to be able to marry those two things together as you go. And if you have a solid grounding in story structure, you've either read 80 billion books and you have it as an inst as an instinctive thing, and I would still even recommend that you do some courses because it's amazing that just the things that you learn that can save you so much time, mm. um, go and do a course because that will give you the structure you know, into which to put your voice. And it, it's just sort of like it, the, the two things come together the more and more that you write. So, yes, you are writing and writing and writing and finding that voice, 
just tapping into that inside voice that you already have and then you are learning how to support that voice in the best possible way. That's great advice and I can't emphasise enough and agree enough with Alison about um, if you're starting out, if you think that, okay, I've got, I, I'm a natural at writing, that's great but it can't hurt to do a course because you don't know what you don't know. That's and right. I've known this guy, this particular guy for years and he's been writing for years. I'm talking decades, 20 years he's been writing but never done a course because he thought, well, I've done, I've done, I've done so much writing. And I said, I really think you could benefit from one even if you've been doing it for a long time because the thing is he was then kind of – he had written several novels and he was sending them out to, you know, manuscript assessors and editors and stuff like that. And he was getting feedback but it was – it's very surface feedback and and also some people who would say, oh, you know, I'm too busy to to do it. But the thing is it just wasn't in enough good shape for them to give really proper constructive feedback or for them to want to do it. He finally did several courses and now his writing has transformed. Now actual publishers are actually saying, I think there's something there. And yeah, yeah, yeah. that wasn't going to happen even though he'd been writing for 20 years till he got some of the basics yeah. because he didn't know what he didn't know. Yeah, that's right. right. I mean, I did several courses when I was starting out, like, because I, I didn't know, like, I, I had ideas about what I was doing, but I didn't really know, like, particular genres, all sorts of, you know, different things. And the big, the biggest lesson I learned right from the beginning was that I was, was the whole starting the story thing. Where do you start mm. your story? And you yeah. just, you, you need to, you need to get that structure stuff right. It's really important. So important. All right, let's move on to the competition this week. We have five copies of Death on the Derwent by Robin Bowles. So uh, entries close on the 28th of January, so make sure you enter before then. When Bob Chappell disappeared from his yacht on the night of 26th January 2009, he left behind his pipe and tobacco, something that his partner, Sue Neil Fraser, knew he would never willingly do. What she didn't know was that despite nobody... No weapon, no cause of death, and no witnesses. She would soon become the only suspect in Chapel's disappearance. In their haste to wrap up the case, the police charged Neil Fraser with murder. After a lengthy trial, the judge delivered her a crushing 26-year sentence. The result of years of investigation and based on extensive interviews with all the key players, including local underworld figures and legal luminaries, Death on the Derwent is a riveting story of justice not served. So five copies of that go to writerscentre.com.au slash win. That's writerscentre.com.au slash win. All right, Al, are you ready for the word of the week? I'm ready. <laughs> I had to you think had to about it. There. I had, well, I had to brace, but I'm ready. All right. It's calumny, C-A-L-U-M-N-Y, calumny. Do you know what it is? Do you know what it is? No. <laughs> okay. So according to the Macquarie Dictionary, this means a false and malicious statement designed to injure someone's reputation. So you might say, when John describes me as a gossip, that's calumny. I'm never one to talk behind someone's back. You would hmm. not say that. No one would ever <laughs> say that. <laughs> no. But okay. Let's go with that. <laughs> You might say that. I'm not saying that. <laughs> okay. Um, let's move on then to our writer in residence this week. Something a little bit different. 
We're talking to Barbara Lasser, who's a ling- who is a linguist and an aspiring jazz pianist. <laughs> she has lived in France, Nigeria, and Syria. After returning to Sydney, she was a lecturer in language and learning at the University of Technology in Sydney for 10 years. Now, Al, what mm. do you think of when I go thwack, pow, bang, oof? Superheroes, Marvel. I know. I think of Batman. (laughs) I love Batman. But what else do you think of? What else do I think of? Yeah, that's all I think of. You no no. The answer is onomatopoeia. I just wanted to let you say it, (laughs) Val. I know how much you like to say it. All right, so we had this as a giveaway in a previous episode, but now we are interviewing the author of Words That Go Ping. So have a listen to this. Thanks so much for joining us today, Barbara. It's a pleasure. Now, your book is so cool, Words That Go Ping, The Ridiculously Wonderful World of Onomatopoeia. Now, that kind of says it all, but... Perhaps just uh, if you could flesh it out a bit more, what's the book about and why did you decide to write it for our listeners? Well, I decided to write it because it's a little neglected area of language and I've always been interested in language. When I say neglected, I mean neglected by serious academic research. But it's such fun. Everybody loves onomatopoeia. I mean, when I'm when I tell people I've written a book about onomatopoeia, their faces light up. Oh, love onomatopoeia, yeah. and it's it's fun, and it's um, it's just something that you can play with, and it's creative. I mean, basically, it's a word whose sound tries to mimic the sound that you actually hear, and the mimic is done, of course, through the tools at your disposal, which is your first language. So when we say um, pock, we're imitating a sound that we hear. Or when we say other words like bang or thump, they're onomatopoeic because they're trying to sound like what we hear. But of course, yeah. do they really? Who knows? <laughs> yes, yeah, sometimes. Yeah, sometimes I wonder <laughs> who's yeah. developed some of the words. So, but what was the point that you thought, "Oh, I'm going to write a book about it"? Well, I, it was actually Alan and Unwin who uh, commissioned it, who showed an interest in it, yeah. and uh, I've been writing a lot of academic stuff over the years, and. Uh, I really enjoy writing. I've been away a lot and I enjoyed writing to my friends and I enjoyed writing letters. And then when they said, oh, I'm out of here, I said, oh, why not? That's never been done before. Wow. Um, it's, it's not a heavy uh, linguistic work, as you know, although I did you know, quite a bit of research. But it's just to make people feel that they know a bit more about it and how it works and how different yes. it is across the languages and... And also how hard it is to translate, you know. I mean, Trans- What do you mean translate? Well, if you're translating, you know, thwack in a certain situation in, from Bulgarian to Japanese. Oh, yes. Uh, what do you do? Yes, you know, that's for- fascinating actually, the different words that are in different languages and we'll get to that. But it's interesting that you say it's not that heavy and maybe it's not that heavy compared to some of your academic terms, but it is really well researched. I mean, uh, where do you even start with, like how did you think what do I need to research when you well, decided to write this book? 
That's a very interesting question. I mean, the shape of it sort of came into my head because I was quite inspired when, you know, when the, the, the topic came up. So the shape of it sort of divided into the various areas that I did just sort of just came from my own interest and the fact that mm. I've, you know, learnt some other languages and everybody's really amazed when they hear that, you know, Bow Wow is different in Japanese than what it is in Russian or something. Um, so, well, do you, you must tell us what it is in Japanese and Russian then. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, I can. I've just it'll just take me a second. Um, I've got you don't to, have yes. you're not you're not a dictionary of, <laughs> of no, all no, no, no. But there is there is a a chart that you can find online, which I refer to in the book by a professor of electrical engineering called Derek Abbott, Adelaide University. He's made a chart of animal sounds in all different languages and. Um, a dog barking, for example, mm. uh, we would say woof woof in English, yes. but in Hungarian it's vau vau, <laughs> and in Swedish it's vau vau vov vov. Wow. Or, 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 or vof. I mean, it's very interesting. I, guess you, I mean, it, if you wanted to find out, you know, how do you say snore in 15 different languages, you could find that off the net. Yes. Um, but because I've study linguistics, sorry, my research, coming back to your question about how did I research it, well, I researched it as a, as a function of what I was interested in, basically, and then mm. I thought, well, there must have been some people who've, you know, looked at this, and I uh, I just did a big, long, um, sort of academic research, and it, it comes under the heading of something called sound symbolism, and uh, I've always in, been interested in it, and I mean, my um, my major study in linguistics was metaphor, and it was metaphor in relation to design. So I think it's all kind of whirling around there in a big mass of information. <laughs> yes. Now, the word onomatopoeia itself is a crazy, ridiculous word. I know. People word. say, how do you spell that? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, but there's some other interesting terms that you explain in this book. Can you explain what iconicity is? Oh, well, look, it's just another of the terms that the learned uh, researchers like to use where something actually stands something else like um, if you think of an icon a, a pictorial icon it actually stands for what it is representing if you see what I mean I wouldn't worry too much about the word iconicity it's it's a very one of those sort of linguistically disputed terms that floats around but I couldn't not mention it sure but what do you mention what I mean what do you mean by what if you can give us an example of iconicity, yeah. Well, it's just it's just um, it's the same thing, really. As as it, it's a, it's a large term that covers symbolism, if you like, symbolism in sounds, sounds that are symbol words. Sorry, words that are symbols of the sound that they represent. And I would say that iconicity is a larger, more abstract term that, that covers all that. And how about and there's a, there's even a word that I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce. Phonesthemes, <laughs> is that Phonemes? right? Uh, P-H-O-N-A-E-S-T-H-E-M-E-S. What's that? Uh, phonothemes. Phonothemes. <laughs> yes, 
Well, phono themes, I mean, phono means sound and mm. themes mean the theme. So whenever you have sounds that tend to group around a theme, we call them a phono theme. Um, mm-hmm. For example, gleam, glitter, glow, uh, you know, have the sounds glue. And there is a a certain construct, you know, construction being made about about the links between what those words mean. And they do also happen to have GL, glow, mm. glitter, gleam, and so on. I mean, flow, fluid, mm. um, you know, it's, it's endless. I could spend the next the rest of my life. <laughs> <laughs> Are they onomatopoeic or do they come from the same root word? Well, both. Right. I mean, you, you can... Exploring the history of language, of any language, you can see that there's influence and movement from one language to another, of course, over time. So they're both of those. I mean, sometimes they retain the onomatopoeic element, sometimes they don't. Mm. Um, it's, you know, it's a very complex development language in itself. Oh, yes. I think and the simplest thing for people who want to know about it is to think of animal sounds, really. You know, I mean... The like meow. Sound, yeah, like meow. I mean, they have, uh, most of them have what we call reduplication, which is repetition, really, of sounds. Mm. But some of them have changed as they came into a, another language, and some of them have remained the same. I'm like, like moo, for example, for a cow, mm. is pretty universal kind of sound. Mm. And that's that can be any reason why that is so. It can be movements of languages. It could be people watching the cow's mouth or <laughs> or listening to what cows do. Um, I mean, one of the important things, I think, that I really um, explore in the book is what we call the say-tell continuum. Mm-hmm. So we say a dog says, woof, woof. But then we say the dog barked, which is the telling of it. What did the dog do? It barked. Right, yes. What did the dog say? It said woof, woof, woof. What did the, crow, what did the, the uh, rooster do? It crowed. We tell about it. Um, mm. But what the sound did it make? It said cock-a-doodle-doo or kiri-kiri or whichever mm. language you're But speaking. a cat meowed and says meow. Yeah, that's right. And, <laughs> uh, and there are some like that. They both say until. So it's big, one mm. big long continuum, like a string of beads that you can move up and down. Mm. Um, and the same with moo. We say a cow mood. Um, and we say a cat meowed. And, you know, there are quite a lot of ones like that. Mm-hmm. We also say a cow lowed. The cows were lowing. The cattle oh, were yes. lowing. Yes, that's right. Yes, the babies. Now, I have to ask you about one that I thought that was interesting. What are ideophones? Ideophones. <laughs> oh, you love these technical terms. Yes, don't they're you? good. Yeah, well, it's the same thing, really. It's, it's when it's, it's very much like um, phonocenes. Phonocenes. You know, it's it's when you have an idea that has a very similar sound to it. Mm. Um. So, for example, you group words around an idea and they all have a same, very similar sound to them. And um, 
they often are very much in the um, say section of words. So you often get a lot of, you know, sort of words like clunk, thunk, plunk, which have similar kind of ideas and similar kind of sounds. Right. So, yeah. And I, I mean, think the, the thing is, sorry, various no, terms are used, used by various people, yeah. Go on. So, some of the examples that you've given are um, these express a concept such as a weakness and they often have a rhythmic pattern like namby-pamby or hoity-toity oh, yeah. and, yeah. and gobbledygook are examples of yeah. ideophones. Um, yeah, yeah. So, Which is interesting. I mean, how would I wonder how Namby Pamby came about? That's just well, yes, you'd have to look up the, the history of that. I mean, one of the jokes my little four-year-old grandson says is, "What goes hee haw on the seesaw?" Oh yes. And the answer is a, a circus um, donkey. Oh yeah, yeah. But no, it's so idiophones. Yeah, they are often gathered around a more abstract thing like hoity-toity and namby-pamby, but you can also find them in in the um, comic books as well. So Yes. I mean, comic books are full of onomatopoeia, right? I mean, oh, you, ju- you even need to think of Batman. Um, oh, yeah. And but that's... That, that fight words. I yes. Yeah. Yes. They're 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 um they're awesome. That's probably when you sort of, as a child, saw on a matapia spelt out in a really graphic way. Yeah. Um, one thing that I think children, and you know some of us adults are strangely fascinated by is, um, onomatopoeic representations of. Farts. <laughs> oh you... yes, everybody does <laughs> farts, don't they? <laughs> yeah, and you have a and... section dedicated to that in this. I know. Book. Well, you know, you have to go where the interest is. <laughs> yes. Tell us a little bit about the various onomatopoeic, onomatopoeic uh, representations of farts. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, I'd have to. Um, I don't have them at my fingertips. I I left that. Piece, particular piece some, somewhere oh, in Oh, you haven't committed that to memory? Oh, my god! I haven't committed it to memory. I'm sorry, no. But, you know, the Fre- I can tell you the French. The French sh- say prut, prut, prut. How do you spell that? P-R-R-O-U-T. Oh, prut. Prut. Yeah. Okay. What is, it, what is the generally um, most used one in English? For farting? Mm-hmm. Well, um, let me think. I don't, I can't answer <laughs> If you had to write it, if you had to write it, what would you write? Uh, as a linguist, I mean, I, I think wouldn't it's a write it question. as a prut, that's for mm-hmm. sure. I'd write mm-hmm. it as a foot. How do you spell that? I'd write it as, a, I'd have F's in it. F, 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 T. Something oh, like F, that. F for Freddy, F, F, F for Freddy. Fart. Yeah, F, yeah. F, 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 T, that's how I'd write it, yeah. Right. Something like that, because a lot of expulsion of air. Yeah. You know. <laughs> well. And in Hungarian, yeah. I understand it's Krandor, Kran, Kran. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. It's great, isn't it? How mm. bizarre is that? All right. So when you did your research, did you do it mainly as 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 research on on existing um, uh, papers or, or and, and and publications, or did you talk to people as well? And then once you did that, did you? already decide before researching, oh, here's the structure, here are my topics I'm going to cover, and uh, or did you research and then figure out, oh, well, here are the main clusters, I'm going to do it like this? Well, I had the main clusters that to start off with. I had the main ideas that, that, that started off with, but then things came up as I went along with the research because I did interview quite a lot of people Mm. especially for the chapter on Japanese. I interviewed mm. quite a lot of people. Um, but the structures I basically had in my head, but they did change according to how much I kept on reading and learning about what people had, had done. Um, mm. And like, for example, I I realised quite early in that Jap- Japanese was a thing all on its own. Mm. And then that we required really a uh, translation, a whole, well, it's not very long, but a, to talk about the issue of translation as a separate kind of thing. And mm. uh, and um, so it didn't, it developed along the lines of my original idea, but then, you know, it, did, it w- was stretched and pulled by all the various research papers that had already been done and by people talking to, you know, I talked to Hungarians and Japanese and Polish and, mm. and how, so on. And mm. How do you think that onomatopoeia started to develop in the first place and, and do you have any idea when it started to develop? Well, you know, one, it's highly likely that the first sounds that people made were onomatopoeic. Mm. you know, grunting and moaning and so on. Mm. But they were onomatopoeic only really when they became words. Mm-hmm. And that, I mean, the, the term onomatopoeia was really only used in the 15th century in, in English-speaking countries. So it's only once you've transformed them into words that you, you use as as a symbol or as a replication of something mm. that, they become classed as onomatopoeic. And I mean, there's a bit of discussion also in the book about um, interjections and exclamations. Yes. How, you know, the, the discussion that goes around whether they're onomatopoeic and how they became onomatopoeic and, you know, it's open slather really. <laughs> mm. Yeah, but, uh, you know, I mean, no one was around to record the first... Bits of, I mean, the first written language was all about you know, 40 grains of millet and uh, mm. how much you have to pay to get through, you know, to get to get this taken somewhere and all these sort of transactions. So it wasn't, I mean, it's a bit of a luxury to write those words, really. Luxury they, to write which words? Onomatopoeic words. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, it is because they, they, they're not the, haven't ever been kind of the essential transactional words. Like, you know, they, they're, they're emotional, they're free, they're creative, they're... Um, they're great not, fun. 
<laughs> yes, they really are great fun. I mean, you can invent, you can make up four today and, and be happy. That's right. Wanted it, to. And, and, and you wouldn't be chided that they're not in the dictionary. Oh, no, what's with the dictionary hang up? Well, <laughs> I shouldn't say that to David Assel, but um, <laughs> they, they, they probably are in the dictionary, a lot of them, but the bat fight words will only become in the dictionary, you know, maybe 50 years from now if they become used, Yeah, uh, you know, by the general public. But um, the dictionary prefers words that you can give a lexical, you know, a, a grammatical label to. Yeah. Uh, so if they can label them as exclamations or something like that, they're very happy to put them in. But I, you know, maybe uh, the, the, there are a few sort of onomatopoeic dictionaries that exist. I've got one in French. Um, mm. But they're just kind of lists of words that are used in various situations to express various emotions. Um, they're not listed in any other way other than what they try to express in a certain context. And, now, of course, sorry. Mm-hmm. No, no, you go on. No, 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 I've kind of tied that up. <laughs> you, you mentioned that there is a section where you talk about interjections and yeah. they are things like whoops or yeah. yikes or... Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, and, and they're different stuff. too, yeah. according to what your first language is. I mean, right. and if you, I had this little dream that I'd like to start an English course for non-English speakers where, a bit like Mr. Bean, you know, you go through a whole series of things happening and then you just say whoops or yikes or, you know, ow or something like that. But uh, mm. maybe I won't. <laughs> I think you'd get actually a surprising number of interested people in that. I think so. I mean, it's never happened. I've, you know, I've learnt a few languages, um, some more intensely than others, but it never comes into the lesson. Mm. You know, you don't learn, oh, heck, or hell, or or, or, ouch. Yes. In another language when you're learning it. There. Yeah, that well that's right. I mean I think it's fascinating how because you know one would think with the apart from cows which apparently speak a universal maybe they speak Esperanto or something. Except in, some in kind Dutch of, and Urdu. Oh why what is it in Dutch or Urdu? Uh in <laughs> in Dutch it's um po- it's it's got with a p. It's Oh. But no b, sorry, it's bo, but b o e in Dutch. Oh, they think yeah, cows say bo. Yeah, B-O-E. And in Ur- Urdu, it's B, B-A-E-H. In your book, you mentioned, though, however, that um, quack quack, which is the mm. same in English and German, is actually quite similar to Catalan. It's quack quack. In Dutch, it's quack quack with a K. Croatian, it's yeah. quack quack. You know, mm. it's yeah. Portuguese and Italian, quite, quite. So very, very yeah. similar. But then, but then in um, uh, other, you know, words, oink, oink, in English is yeah. nof, nof, nof in Finnish and groin, groin yeah. in French. That's right. Yeah. Just, yeah. Pigs it's, obviously um, sound different. 
Yeah, it's Kno-Kno. Kno-Kno in, kno in Dutch, yes. In Dutch. In French, it's Kwan Kwan, G-R-O-I-N, G-R-O-I-N. Ah, okay. In Japanese, it's Boo Boo. For a pig? For a pig. That's bizarre. Grunting. Yeah, <laughs> isn't that bizarre? And in Hungarian, it's it's Ruf Ruf. For a pig? Yeah. I think they're confused, don't you? Well, I've never <laughs> had spoken to a pig in Hungarian. So <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we've been doing it all wrong this whole time. Maybe we what? have. Maybe the what? Hungarians <laughs> got it right. <laughs> What's your favourite onomatopoeic word? Oh, look, I've got two. Oh, I do do tell. I'm sorry. Can I have two? You can have two. Okay. Well, my favourite of all time is the Spanish sound for what a dove makes, which is cucurucucu, which I think is just so melodic and beautiful. Yes, that's gorgeous. Isn't it? Cucurucucu. And so the good. other one is the French for snoring, which I think is excellent. It's rompchi, spelled, I think it's spelled R-O-N-N-P-C-H-I or something. Rompchi. Oh yeah. That's bizarre. That is snoring? Yeah. Yeah. Weird. Well, I, I would say it makes more sense than Z, 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 which is I've what we use. I think so. I've never got to Z, 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 It just doesn't make any sense at all because you're not mm. Zing through your teeth. You've got your mouth open and it's at the back of the throat. So yeah, the bizarre. English speakers have got that wrong. Yes. And if you had to make up an automatic peak, an automatic peak word, what would it be? If I had to make up an onomatopoeic yes. word, well, I think it would be oh, something about an explosion of joy. Probably. Oh, I love that. Spling or something oh, like. Oh wow! I you like, like that. Spling? Yes, that would be. Um, I'm trying to write it now. S C H P L I G. That's it. We're going to try to We're get a word of the year, the Macquarie. Of the yeah, I love yeah. it. All right, <laughs> fantastic. And on that note, thank you so much for chatting to us today, Barbara. It's a pleasure, Valerie. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our popular course, Creative Writing Stage 1, is the perfect way to unlock your creativity and explore the world of writing. You only need a couple of hours a week and you'll learn how to create memorable characters, believable dialogue and captivating plots, all in a supportive environment in this five-week online course. Whether your goal is to write a bestseller or simply tell better stories, learn at home with your very own tutor giving you personal feedback each week. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash creative writing. All right, there you go. Words that go ping. So, Al, what's happening with you in the coming week until we speak again? Uh, what's happening? I, yeah, I look, we are into the final stages of the school holiday. Oh. I will be taking my boys school shoe shopping, which is always a real highlight of my year. Oh, so I think everyone yeah. would probably, everyone who's got kids will be with me on that. It's a thousand degrees. We're going to the beach. Mm. I'm, you know, I mean, I'm sure I've got actual useful writing things to talk about, but I'm a bit focused at the moment. Sorry about that. Fair what about enough. you? What are you doing? <laughs> um, I'm going for a run today. 
I know. Are you kidding me? It's like no. 40 degrees. Don't be silly. Oh, is it? Yes. Okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> all don't right. Don't be one of those crazy running people. Mm, no. Maybe not. You just, either. you don't run when it's this hot. No. Okay. Uh, and... Or if you are going to do that, Val, you have to do it at 5 o'clock in the morning. You've totally missed your window. Sorry. So I fully prescribe a lie down and a gin and tonic instead. Oh, yeah, I need some tonic. Okay, yeah, well, I'll be off to tonic. buy some tonic. But the other thing I'll be doing is uh, I am going to spend a couple of days meeting all of the people who are performing. There's a whole program of community performances from, you know, hip-hop to traditional dance to contemporary to, to you know, uh, um, drumming, and I'm going to be meeting with all of the people who have been curated into the festival. So that's going to be fun. It's going to take a couple of days. And so hopefully I get to have a go on those drums, you know, those big drums that you can get all your aggressions out on. <laughs> yeah, that'll be fun. Yeah. You'll be good at that. Fun. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, where do we find you online, Al? You'll find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You'll find me on Twitter at, at Al-Tait, A-L-T-A-I-T, and you'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Alison Tate Writer. And I would love to see you in those places. And you, yes, Val, where do we find you? Yes, well, make sure you connect with both of us on Facebook. Just go to the listener community and request to join. We'd love to have you in there. It's free. So search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community and um, we'd love to see you in there. So you can also connect with me on Facebook, but also I'm on Twitter and Instagram uh, under at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, and you can find me at ValerieKoo.com. You can find the show notes at soyouwanttobeawriter.com.au. Thanks for listening, everyone. We look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more. <laughs>